Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Cove Church. Uh, I have a confession to make. Uh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this full time for over 25 years. Uh, like you and your profession, I have an adequate amount of training in theology and spiritual formation, much of it hammered out on the anvil of experience. Further, while I have questions about the Bible, I, I can maneuver around it okay. And I don't always trust God. The title of my message today is A Time Before Certainty. Isaac Watts said this, learning to trust is one of life's most difficult tasks. Stephen Covey said this, when the trust account is high, communication is easy, instant, and effective. The former governor of Rhode Island, Lincoln Chafee said this, that trust is built with consistency. And Ernest Hemingway <laughs> said this, the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. And famously, Ronald Reagan said this, trust, but verify. I did a simple search using Apple Music for songs or bands related to this idea of trust and immediately 50 songs and or bands pulled up from Prince to NF to Megadeth for all the Megadeth fans out there, Jonas Brothers, Hillsong, Limp Biscuit, Justin Bieber, and Drake to name a few. In fact, the prophet and frontman for Leonard Skinner, Ronnie Van Sant, with a couple of friends, wrote a song called Just That Trust. And the chorus sadly goes like this. You can't always trust your woman. Well, you can't always trust your best friend and be aware of the ones that you need y'all because they might be the ones that do you in. Sad way to live. I wanna give us maybe a working definition of trust and then I wanna give us a formula, a formula, not the formula for building and especially rebuilding trust in our lives. I just did a quick internet search for the definition of trust and frankly, I found one that I think I like. Firm belief in the integrity, ability or character of a person or thing, it's confidence or reliance. And then maybe a recipe for building or especially rebuilding trust. What do I do when maybe I've made a mess of my life? Uh, this is a question that I've gotten over the years, pastoring and uh, in, in some, uh, I'm not a counselor, but I'll just use the phrase pastoral counseling. When someone has um, broken trust, Pastor Brandon, what do I do to rebuild trust? I would say this is a simple formula that we can apply to our lives. It's positive, predictable behavior over time positive, predictable behavior over time. And so if any one of those ingredients is missing, if my behavior isn't positive, I'm gonna have a hard time uh, building and rebuilding trust. Maybe my behavior is positive, but it's unpredictable. Trust is gonna come hard. Or maybe I'm only in it for the short term. So my behavior is positive and predictable, but I, you know, I, I kind of flame out after a couple of weeks. And herein, I think Cove Church lies a major problem, at least for me, is when we attempt to kind of fit God into this human construct, this human template of building and rebuilding trust. There is this wild kind of disruptive supernatural dimension to God 
that can be unpredictable at times. And it can seem not so positive in our lives. Let's just move away just for a second, Cove Church, away from our own lives, kind of give that a rest for a minute. And let's just filter this idea through some of the stories that we learn in the Bible. God leading the children of Israel to a, a dead end, to the Red Sea. He puts their backs up against, purposefully up against the Red Sea with the Egyptian army bearing down on them. That doesn't seem so positive to me. That seems wildly unpredictable, especially when we know, according to the biblical text, that there was another easier, shorter way to go. How about the idea of conquering Jericho, the walls of Jericho? So God, let me get this straight. You want us to march around these walls and then blow trumpets? How about Noah's Ark? God, you, you want me to build a gigantic boat uh, because, because it's about to, what was that word that you used? It's about to rain? How about Jesus? 15,000 people standing in front of him and, and he wants to go kind of family style to feed 15,000 people with a boy's lunch. How about Jesus, Lazarus is dying. The Bible says that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved his family. They come to Jesus because they know that he can heal Lazarus who's dying. And Jesus knows that he can heal Lazarus who's dying. And the Bible says there that Jesus remained where he was for two more days and Lazarus died. That doesn't seem incredibly positive to me, Cove Church. And God told the children of Israel through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, see if this sounds familiar to you. To you. My, my plans aren't your plans, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my plans than your plans. So Coopters, let's just be honest with one another. This creates at least a tension in us. This idea that an eternal God doesn't always seem to, to fit or function within our, tight, our tidy little construct of what it means to build and rebuild trust. But I want to remind us, Cove Church, that unlike all of us who have been in the position of having to rebuild trust, God never starts from that position. He always starts from a position of trustworthiness. Now, let me leave that kind of that, that tension hanging there just for a second. And I want to go to what might seem like an unrelated kind of subject matter, but we're going to tie them together. Over the past multiple generations, at least, uh, there is this sense that we have maybe truncated, or I would even say kind of gutted the gospel. Pastor Brandon, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news from Genesis to Revelation, this idea of redemption, uh, redemption of, of the relationship between God and man, this broken relationship fulfilled in Jesus Christ, that he loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. And we've made disciples of belief. We've raised up disciples. Disciple, what, what's that word, Pastor Brandon? A disciple would be a learner, a learner of Jesus, uh, a, a little Christ, if you will. We've raised up disciples of belief rather than trust. Here's what I mean. We've placed an emphasis on the moment of decision, on the moment of belief, on the moment that someone moves from spiritual death to spiritual life. And this is wonderful. And we should. Romans 10, 9 and 10. 
says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm not going to argue with Paul in Romans 10, 9 and 10. I believe this. We have to have a confessional faith belief, for it is by faith you've been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And yet, we've left believers in this place of decision or belief without maturing in their faith. And the result over generations, Cove Church, if you look at the the history of the church, especially through kind of the, the revival movement, in America, uh, American evangelicalism is we have disciples of confessional beliefs rather than convictional beliefs. In theological terms, we might say it this way. We have disciples of orthodoxy or right belief and not disciples of orthopraxy, right practice. We've prioritized a decision over discipleship. We have disciples who confess belief in Jesus, but haven't learned to trust Jesus. Belief versus trust. What's interesting, James chapter two, James, the younger brother of Jesus, uh, you thought you lived in the shadow of an older sibling. Uh, James, who didn't believe in his brother, Jesus wrote, I, I, I always refer to it as kind of the blue collar gospel, kind of where faith hits the streets. James chapter two, verses uh, 14 through 19, he says this, some might claim you have faith and I have action, but how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I'll show you my faith by putting into practice in faithful action. It's good that you believe that God is one. He says this, kind of laughs, ha, even the demons believe and they tremble in fear. James says, man, it's really good that you believe, but even the demons believe and they tremble in fear. Our text today, Cove Church is Psalm 20 and verse seven. The Bible says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember and trust in the name of the Lord our God. In the message translation, I I love it in the message puts it this way. See those people polishing their chariots and those others grooming their horses, but we're making garlands for God, our God. Come church, this biblical idea of trust, at least in the Old Testament, this word here in Psalm 20 and verse seven is to have confidence in, it's to be bold, it's to be secure. We move into the New Testament, it's similar and yet it, it, it comes a little closer to our English definition of trust that I would put my confidence and my boldness in someone or something. Here's my question for us today. What are our horses and chariots today? There's a song by one of my favorite um, worship leaders. His name is Jason Upton. Perhaps you've heard of him. He references in one of his most recent albums, this, this idea, he references kind of a change in society back to a time before machinery, a time before certainty, which is where I pulled the title of this message. A time when a farmer had to sow his field and trust God to send sun and rain in due season to grow the crops. And what comes out of the artist in this, this album is this deep desire for dependence on God. Listen, there is power and certainty in horses and chariots. They're strong. They provide protection and speed. And visually, they're intimidating to an opposing force. 
what are our horses and chariots today? In so many ways, we live in a culture beckoning us to find security in someone or something, whether it's, it's government or politics or money or, or systems or our own ability. And I started thinking about my own search for certainty and security. And my mind fell on this idea of insurance coverages that, that Joy and I have, or at least we're trying to secure. Am I, am I overinsured? Am I underinsured? And I thought about medical insurance and dental insurance, vision insurance, auto, life insurance, disability. And, and in times past when our debt to equity uh, ratio wasn't quite what it needed to be, it was the dreaded mortgage insurance. And I did some quick Google searches, Cove Church, I, I, and I quote, a culture of guarantee. And immediately I had 601 million hits about businesses, most of them businesses promoting some sort of guarantee for the consumer. I did another search and I quote, the growth of insurance companies. I, I, I kind of wanted to learn the context and the history of just the, the growth of the insurance company. 435 million hits in a fraction of a second. Another search, am I underinsured? 16 and a half million hits. How many types of insurances? I, Cove Church, I had to count the zeros. I did it probably two or three times. There was over a billion hits in 0.45 seconds. In fact, I scrolled down about halfway down the first page and I found the title, this title, nine weird types of insurance you never knew existed. So I thought, hey, um, how theologically stimulating is that? So I'm going to give them to you. There's wedding insurance. Uh, that one didn't surprise me too much. There's a change of heart or cold feet insurance. That one's probably related to the wedding insurance. There's alien abduction insurance that's being uh, promoted out there. I think many of them kind of more satire. There's lottery insurance. There's multiple birth insurance, bed bug insurance, food truck insurance, body part insurance. And in case you were wondering, there is chicken insurance. And I'm left wondering, Cove Church, I'm left wondering in our culture, in my own life, those I pastor, do we really feel more secure? Do we really feel more certain? You know, when my health fails, I'm thankful for the health insurance. And yet, isn't there now an uncertainty that the health insurance can't fix? Or I, I, maybe I lose my home or God forbid someone under my life insurance policy loses their life. I'm grateful for the policy, but aren't I now faced with all kinds of questions and uncertainty? I want to give you, Cove Church, um, maybe three modern day horses and chariots in my own life. And I want to see if you can relate. Number one, I can be so self-sufficient at times. And there's a healthy side to this. I want to work hard. I want to use my brain and my God-given talents. And yet there's a shadow side to this. I think you'll agree. My pride can keep me from asking others for help or admitting that I don't know, or, or my insecurities, uh, you know, um, forcing me, seemingly force me to admit when I'm, when I'm wrong or when, I, when I'm deficient some way because I don't want others to think that I don't have what it takes. I don't want them to perceive in me a weakness or maybe my need to control or have things done a certain way at a certain time, especially when it doesn't line up with God's timing. And then, Cope Church, the older I get, the more I learn how fragile I am outside of Jesus, how fleeting my life is, and how ultimately, ultimately, how insufficient 
I am apart from him. How about this? Number two, I can be too quick to call on other people and other things. Almost the reverse of number, number one. Friends, so many times in crisis and confusion, my default is not to seek the Lord first. It's to call on other people. Maybe look something up, read a book, call the expert. And why not? Why not, coaches? They're, they're, they're smart as what they're trained for. They've come through before. They've left the door open. They love me. They have my best interest at heart. They're a Christ follower. And doesn't the Bible ultimately point to this idea that I'll never be fully formed in Christ aside from other people? The answer to all of those things is yes, and we need people. The question is, who do I turn to first? Go church, who do I turn to first? Like the farmer before machinery and before certainty, where is my dependence? Where do I turn to first? I'm embarrassed to say, Cove Church. In fact, some of you may think less of me. <laughs> I am embarrassed to say that it's only recently, when I say recently, maybe the last six to eight months, that I can confidently say that I've been really exercising my initial faith response muscle. That muscle, uh, I, I name it this because I, it's that muscle that I would say is the one that turns to God first. It's the one maybe in crisis or pain or just everyday life where I, I turn to the Lord and I ask the Lord the questions that I used to always ask someone else first before I turn to the Lord. How about this, number three? I feel distant or abandoned by God. This, this can force me at many times when I feel like God's not listening, God's not tuned in to where I'm at in life, I can begin to depend on other things, my other horses and chariots. So what do we do, Cope Church? What do we do when we join the millions and millions of people, Christ followers, tens of millions of Christ followers who've gone before us, who have felt abandoned by God, who have been in a dark night of the soul, who wonder where God went? Does God see my pain? And if not, I just, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rely on and depend on other people because obviously God's not here. Just a few examples. The Bible is full of them, both good and bad. Those who trusted God, those who didn't trust God. In crisis moments, in, in moments where things didn't add up, things didn't make sense, it, it wasn't positive or predictable, Abraham, the son Isaac, they're headed up the mountain. God's asked him, it's a test of faith. God's asked him to sacrifice his son, those of you who know the story. And he tells his caravan, he says, listen, the boy and I are going to go up the mountain to worship. He's not going up to worship. He's going to kill this kid. But the Bible tells us that Abraham trusted God, that even if he had to kill his son, he trusted God to raise him from the dead. If you look at our Hebrew captives, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, probably a story that you heard in Sunday school. There was a giant idol that was made and everyone was forced to bow down to this idol and these three Hebrew slaves essentially said, no, we're not gonna bow down. And they were confronted with the fiery furnace and they said, that our God's able to deliver us from your fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow down. And they were thrown into the furnace. How about this, Job, if you go to Job, if you've never read the book of Job, it's an, it's a, it's an amazing story. He loses everything he, he has, everything in his life in one day. He loses his family, his kids, his livestock, his livelihood, his own health. 
He loses it all. And when we go to the 13th chapter of Job, he makes this famous declaration. Though he slay me, God, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Church, why would we talk about this? Well, again, we've raised, I believe, generation after generation of confessional disciples and not convictional disciples. When, when the chips are down, who do I turn to? Who can I trust with, with my future, with my finances, with my family, my relationships, my sexuality? Who can I trust? Look at verse eight of our text, Psalm 20 and verse eight. They, the horses and chariots, David said, they have bowed down and fallen, but we, those who trust the Lord, have risen and stood upright. I wanna close this way. I wanna share a personal story. It's a family story. Cove Church, I called my daughter, Kayla. She's 25 years old. I asked her if I could share this story. She is um, maybe just a, a moment of um, uh, uh, dad pride here, if you'll indulge me. Uh, she is, she's, she's a nurse. She's been a nurse for about 18 months, graduated uh, about a year ago um, with her BSN from Boise State. We're incredibly proud of her. Uh, we got some news this last year that there was, she had been struggling with her back and she went in to see a specialist and um, diagnosed her with scoliosis. Now you're gonna see on your screen, a spine, a picture. This is not my daughter's picture. It's just a picture of a normal spine. Uh, and, and then you're gonna see here in just a second, you're gonna see uh, what would be the equivalent to the curvature of my daughter's spine. So, so scoliosis is, is measured in degrees and angles, something called a Cobb angle. And so um, it becomes severe at more than 40, okay? It becomes severe and usually needing surgery. And so the top angle, kind of the thoracic angle of my daughter's is 45 degrees and the bottom angle, the, the, the lumbar angle is 42 degrees. It's severe. And it's forced her into a rhythm of seeing a neurosurgeon. Coach Church, I want to speak maybe just to the, um, the parents listening in. You have kids, you have grandkids. I think there's something I know about you. There isn't anything you wouldn't do for them. And in times of their pain, when you've seen them in pain, that, that thought that would say, I wish I could trade places with them. I wish that I could take their pain, that they didn't have to go through this. Coach Church, th this is... I know that God can heal my daughter. And yet somehow, some way in his sovereignty, he hasn't. That doesn't seem terribly positive to me and it rattles my trust at times. And I have to come back to this idea, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that my God is able, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to bow down to, I'm not going to turn to the horses and the chariots. Though God slay me, yet I will trust him. Some trust in horses and some in chariots, but I am going to trust in the name of the Lord my God. Corey Ten Boom famously said this, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Let me pray for you, Coach Church. Jesus, thank you.
that you are completely trustworthy. You don't begin from a, 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 a place of having to rebuild trust with us. You are forever and always trustworthy. And yet, God, would you have mercy on us as we live in this tension that your timing doesn't always match our timing, that, that your ways and what you call us to isn't always comfortable and doesn't always seem positive. We trust you to raise the dead. We trust you to deliver us. But even if you don't, it doesn't mean that you're not trustworthy and that you don't have a plan. We declare today, we don't wanna just be Christ followers of confessional belief, but convictional belief where there's action, where, I, where, where we really trust you, God. No matter what, we trust you and that it would be borne out according to James chapter two in the way we live. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Bless you, Cove Church. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.